Right, we are back. <clears throat> so, the end of last episode, I uh, I did tease that we do a bit of a deep dive on China. But I lied. Now, there's there's been some sort of uh, issues come to light during the week that are uh, a bit more pressing than the China thing at the moment. So I thought uh, we'll worry about that later. And uh, there's still a bit more information I want to gather on that thing anyway. And, uh, and we'll continue on the trajectory we were on with the last few episodes. So just to recap, so in episode one, we had a look at uh, politicians in this country, namely Liberal Party politicians using fake social media accounts to fake support um, for, you know, their policies or the things they say or or to smear their opponents or, or you know, whatever, whatever they can use them for, really. Um, you know, Andrew Lamming likes to just harass women in his electorate um, with them and, you know, they just seem to do whatever. So we had a look at that and just, just sort of the mainstream news reporting on that. And then uh, in the second episode, we had a look at Crosby Texter and the, more specifically, the history of Crosby Texter from the 90s when they were part of the Liberal Party up through the Children Overboard Tampa Affair whole thing in 2001 where they branched out and then became their own company and and started working for other conservative governments, um, namely New Zealand and then the UK, and running their elections all the way up to Brexit, where they ran the secret Brexit campaign, where they pretended to run fake, like pretended to run. They did run pretend, uh, you know, organised grassroots organisations, encouraging people or not even just encouraging people, but basically making it as easy as possible whilst encouraging people to write their MPs and campaign for a hard Brexit, which is actually the worst possible outcome of Brexit for the British population. Not, not only that, it wasn't an insignificant part of the campaign either even though they still didn't officially work on the Brexit campaign, the campaign they ran was the highest spending campaign of the whole Brexit thing by far. So, you know, make of that what you will. And then we had a look at uh, how in 2018, they changed their name from Crosby Texter to CT Group, where they started incorporating other companies that they contract out to that run all different aspects of the campaigns. We don't know who these companies are, except for the one, which is Topham Guerin, who is the meme farm. Now, I'm going to read a, a Facebook post that did the rounds last week. But before I get there, I need you to do something for me. Now, so far, we've we've covered just sort of stuff that's in in the public domain, in the Australian mainstream media. But we're starting to get into the weeds. It's really important that as many people as possible are across this whole thing. There's no use me just sitting here in my shed talking to nobody and laying all this stuff out. I need you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. I need you to like the Facebook page and I need you to share this stuff around so that as many people as possible can learn about how this whole situation works. Please do that for me. That would be great. So let's have a look at this post that did the rounds this week. So this is written by the good folk over at the Bulletin. A left-leaning, like, news uh, 
aggregator type thing that they share articles and then also share opinions. Facebook moves to close down groups, an editor's opinion and warning. Facebook has started their part in the re-election campaign of Morrison and the LNP. Many Facebook groups are receiving notifications that they will be shut down if they receive any complaints from members of their groups and the list of groups is growing. But let us start at the beginning. We wrote many months ago about the dirt unit. It was originally set up by Abbott and its job was to find all dirt on politicians, even if the dirt was sketchy, the paid staffers and young libs run with it on social media. Remember the disgraceful comments about Bill and Chloe Shorten and Tanya Plibersek and her husband were pushed out onto social media groups just months before the 2019 election. This is what the dirt unit does. It spreads lies and propaganda for the LNP. What they also do is use fake profiles to badger, harass, intimidate, abuse, and let, and yes, troll Labour Party pages, spreading fake news and lies about Labour. Most of us would have been called leftards or communists by these trolls, but that's just what they do up front. It's their actions behind the scenes that cause the most problems for administrators of pages and for individuals that support and follow Labour. At first, the Dirt Unit, run, we believe now, by Dutton, is set to work to infiltrate closed pages run by Labour supporters to watch screenshot and report back comments that are made against the government or any LNP minister. Comments they find that could go against standards they report, but not just one report, but multiple reports by fake profiles. So many of these fake profile trolls can never be removed. Many have tried reporting offensive comments from serial trolls and yet they remain, yet Labour supporters on Labour pages are being removed for defending their party, their beliefs, and for the most innocent comments compared to the abuse from the dirt unit. It's starting to become blatantly obvious that there's nothing we can do about it. The LNP are in control and they hate free speech and they hate groups discussing and sharing negative articles on Morrison or any of his ministers. Closed Facebook groups administrators are being accused of bullying their members by Facebook. An example which came to light last weekend, an admin was notified by Facebook that there was a breach of community standards regarding a post made on their page. The admin then notified the person who posted the article, asking them to reword it. But the member, instead of doing what was asked, reported the admin for bullying. Groups have their own rules and admin has the final say, so it's bizarre that an admin would be accused of bullying when they were addressing a complaint from Facebook. It left many angry and scratching their heads that a group that has strict rules on swearing and abuse would be targeted in this way. You'll find the same names popping up on news outlets like the Sydney Morning Herald and The Australian. The same names are on Anthony Albanese's page and other Labour pages. These profiles either don't work as they're on some pages 24 hours a day, or their LNP staffers spreading the LNP propaganda. The Bulletin has again been under attack by Facebook. They've halved our reach in the last four months. Some of our editors and writers have been stopped from sharing our articles, accusing our editors of spamming if we share it in more than three groups. We've been stopped from sharing to our own pages. It's childish games being orchestrated by our government's lackeys. Sorry, sunshine, wrong place.
here's the thing about conservatives doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's sneaky and, and yeah, it's, uh, it can be smart at times, right? But the thing that conservatives generally aren't is creative. So by looking at what other people have done in other parts of the world, you can kind of match it up to what's going on here. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the manipulation of the comments section of uh, media outlets. So this this whole um, tactic was was pioneered by the Israelis back in 2009, and the you know tensions were flaring up with Palestine as as it always is, and the New York Times was writing these um, these articles. So what they did is they had this like sort of crowdsourced um, app type thing. So Israelis could join up to this app and then when there's a negative article on Israel, then they'd get a notification and a link to the article or or the article on Facebook. And then I I guess just one person or two people or, you know, a handful of people, whatever, make a comment. But then the idea was for everyone to like those comments. So they're the comments that are seen right at the top because they've got way more likes than anything else in the comments section. And it was quite effective for them. So this is an article from The Age. Organisers of the Rip Curl Pro Surfing event says the Andrews government underestimated the significance of Bells Beach to Victorians. Then we've got top comment, way more likes than anything else. The absolute failure of this Dan Andrews government to actually do more than one thing at once is staggering. Maybe it's true Dan has to tick everything off personally, except, of course, Hotel Quarantine version 1. No one can remember who approved that. And this is Terry. He's uh, part man, part hawk. Loves his footy. Just a, you know, good, true blue Aussie bloke. Here is again, sometime later, whinging about this. Dan Andrews' government has handled this COVID crisis abysmally from the start. Dan's default position from his government mistakes is lock everything down. Spoken like a true campaigner. But he's not the only one. A different comment section now, and I didn't screenshot the original article, so who knows what it was. But, uh, you know, here's, this, is, uh, this is Tony here. Australia, Victoria is the issue. A quarantine plan organised by socialist dolts. And, uh, and Tony here is a sunset. Then you've got same, uh, I guess the same comment section, this one with a very large amount of likes, way disproportionate to even the likes on the the actual article. Uh, This is Gail. To quote Dan, this hyper-infectious variant is moving at hyper speed. One locally acquired case yesterday, two cases today, yet the entire state goes into lockdown, complete overreach by an incompetent government running scared. Gail is uh, some flowers. Now, I know that she's got featured photos and that's actually, um, seems like there is a type of account that specifically does this whose profile is always very well set up, like they've filled out everything. You know, they come out 
in force whenever there's a, an article about you know COVID lockdowns or whatever. So going through the same comment section, you've got this Andrew here whose uh, profile is an hourglass, and then you've got this Kim Scova who is a dog, and he likes to post things like this: children forced to wear masks, child abuse apparently, even though. No children have been forced to wear masks. And here's an interesting one I saw. So you got this guy, trust the government, they'll keep you safe. Politicians are kind and caring people with trustworthy expert scientists. And that's got 229 reactions to it. Now, what I find interesting about this is this first comment here with 44 reactions. I am a medical scientist and the vaccines are fine, right? So this medical scientist is one of these accounts with the featured photos. Scientist, says, right there under her name, so you know she's really a scientist. And then you go down to her account and it's just like sharing these. These are the red flags. You see people sharing from, from places like Breitbart and then, you know, sharing also Daily Telegraph articles and then random, like, groups like no greens that's a red flag george christensen posts are also shared by a lot of these sock puppet accounts and you know at a guess i'd say these ones come from the victorian liberals perhaps contracted out the legitimate company that's had these accounts for a while and built them up to look uh, more legitimate or just directly from the politicians uh, themselves we can cross-reference that if we have a look on one of the Victorian uh, Liberals' um, posts, maybe. If you're not from Victoria, this is Bernie Finn. That's all you need to know. Here's one of the biggest purveyors of misinformation of the whole Victorian Liberal Party, above board anyway. So he says state governments can't keep locking down cities or entire states because of a handful of Wuhan virus cases. Gladys can manage it in New South Wales. What the hell is wrong with the rest of the clods? Ignoring completely what he would have done in the same situation. Let's have a look through his comments. And so, second comment there. 55 reacts. That's because this is not about health or a virus. It's an agenda. I love talking about agendas. Here's one of his uh, shitty anti-labor memes. Victoria's debt increased to 61 billion in the last six months. And the Andrews Labor government won't tell us where it's borrowed from. And then the comment section is just like, this first one is written like it's a campaign slogan. Hope it's not via Green Still and Co. Dan Andrews in Fatuation with trains places a heavy reliance. Hang on. Marion, you reckon that's a girl or a guy? Let's go with a girl. Hope it's not via Green Sill and Co. Dan Andrews infatuation with the trains places a heavy reliance on the steelworks in Wyala, which has a monopoly, but it's run by Gupta. It all seems very high risk indeed. The complete opposite to how the Vic government advertises itself internationally. Right, and then the next comment, also written like a politician, 
Uh, this is a dude, so we'll just get a... That's around 9,100 for every man, woman, and child in the state. And with a forecast to hit $155 billion in 2023, we'll all be drowning in debt for decades. Bit deep, that one, but, you know, whatever. So these guys... Pretty closed account, no profile photo. Seems like one that politician himself would make, as does this one. He's a, he's a car, this guy. More accounts. That's a suspicious. Like Mark here is a sunset. Bindi here is a is a flower. They just basically answer the the sort of uh, questions that the meme poses. Must be a money tree plantation somewhere, China. So the conclusion there is that although they have similar traits and they all speak the same, they all speak like they're on the campaign trail. These appear to be coming from two different places. I mean, either Bernie Finn and his colleagues federally and state. Uh, have a lot of supporters that just really into anonymity online. But I find that highly improbable. So we've got two different machines pushing two different aspects of this AstroTurf campaign. I call these kinds of uh, accounts the CI group. So the cars or infrastructure group. And these guys seem to just hate Dan Andrews. Always commenting on any news article that mentions him, anything that mentions him in a positive light, they're straight in there. They're saying uh, negative things, twisting it around, reminding people that there's 800 people dead. For example, check this out. And then this is on uh, one of the posts about when Dan Andrews fell and injured himself and he announced that he'll be off work for a bit. These guys flooded the comments, right? And uh, this is a, a common tactic I've seen from these guys. So Liz here. The best thing Andrews can do is retire. The age calls him a strong leader. Many of us call him a bully and a tyrant, drunk on power, delivered through an overwhelming majority in parliament. Andrew's support dwindled since lockdown and his refusal to cough up names of those responsible for hiring private security during HQ. The recent unnecessary five-day lockdown was bad for Labor. Labor should replace him now. Victoria will be very grateful. And then see how uh, someone's just laughed at, says you with the fake account. Oh, hang on. Got to use her voice, eh? Says you with the fake account. You far-left bozos are a joke. And then the guy says no, and then straight away she's just like, Fake. I've called this tactic the switch throw, and it's, and it's something that is a common, um, I say right wing, but like just maybe just Liberal Party tactic or Crosby Texter tactic, really. And that is, uh, you know, I went over it um, last episode when we looked at their campaign ads and, and um, the fact that like the stuff they campaigned against, they just ended up doing when they're in, um, it's just the same thing. It's just quick call them out before they call me out. And then that just neutralizes them calling me out because I've already called them that. So they're just retaliating or whatever. I don't want to go on for this too long. Just like making the point that this is definitely happening. 
right? You've got your group infiltrators as well. So I'll just give you a, a quick, uh, I took this um, shot of this comment around the same time that the bulletin um, came out with that statement. Uh, I started looking around in, in a bunch of the left-wing groups and this one in particular, straight away see this guy. Is this a Labour Party support group where one is likely to be blocked slash banned for not following the party line? So they're not just coming into these groups to, uh, you know, argue or, or anything like that. What they, the goal of what they do, I mean, there's the, the things that the bulletin was talking about where like reporting stuff and stuff like that, but mostly what they're doing when they're infiltrating these groups is uh, seeding, trying, attempting to seed doubt in people's heads about their ideas. You know, I've just, I've had this just saved on my phone for ages and, and I just wanted to to put it out there. I came across this, uh, this lady on Twitter at some point last year, about November last year, and she wrote this. So, uh, Caulfield South is a, a small suburb in the southeast of Melbourne. Our state electorate is Caulfield. Our state MP is David Southwick from the Liberal Party. David, or his social media team, creates fake accounts on Facebook to post his propaganda. I'm admin for a small community group on Facebook. We have not quite 700 members. We like to find lost dogs and cats in the neighborhood, working out what bin week it is, rates, as important. So I recently started receiving posts about David Southwick's Zoom sessions titled Alternate Roadmap to Recovery. I approved the initial one, but declined the others because the title wouldn't sit right without it. Further explanation on his part is likely linked to the Liberal National Alternative Roadmap, which has been vastly at odds with how the current government has successfully handled our COVID-19 response. I declined these posts, so suddenly new members applied to join the group and they shared his posts. Odd. I've screenshotted it before the old screenshot has disappeared from my screen, but it says... One such member was Elliot Thompson. There he is there. Elliot Thompson joined Facebook recently and has no posts, but he wanted to share David Southwick's post most keenly. Elliot Thompson isn't real, though. He's actually a high school kid, Zach Toussaint, who's a basketballer featured in a news report in McHenry County, Illinois, USA. There have been a few like this, but the one that broke the camel's back, aka making me lose my patience, was earlier today. A very enthusiastic post from a woman named Sarah Maltzer. She needed to tell us how wonderful David Southwick was today. But Sarah isn't real either. She's actually a nice Jewish lady named Andrea Ginsberg, who holds with a side about scarves and scarf wearing and is on YouTube. I've reported this all to Facebook, I've informed the members of the community, I'm disgusted that I even have to deal with this. Southwick, you have acted disgracefully in this manner and should be ashamed. I allowed you to be a part of a community and you contributed nothing but tried to deceive your constituents. Disgraceful. Unfortunately, it seems that the same posts have been submitted and approved in other local community groups. And this, and this kind of thing is common everywhere and not just from the state MPs. Fake Facebook furor. 
numerous accounts purporting to be real people and a number of community pages with differing political views and agendas have all been active in the digital space over the recent weeks. Two particular pages, Cardinia Election Truths and Cardinia Candidates Fact Check, have all been particularly vocal in questioning the motives of the Liberal-aligned clean-up Cardinia candidates. Another group, Cardinia Councillors' Expenses, was created in response to the expenses investigation surrounding Labor candidate Colin Ross, appears to have an agenda against Mr Ross. The former councillor claims to have been the victim of a lengthy and targeted campaign. Mr Ross said he has consistently been the subject of the page, with recent posts alleging his current campaign was full of lies, lies and more lies. He said the person behind the page was gutless troll who was hiding behind a page of anonymity. The Guardian made numerous attempts to contact each administrator in an attempt to reveal their identity, however none of the pages responded. The alleged online attacks prompted federal Latrobe MP Jason Wood to take action. He accused a number of pages of making false claims and running political advertisements without disclaimers. Mr. Woods said people were creating fake so-called community groups and individual accounts where they simply troll. As Prime Minister Morrison has previously said, they are the types of people who hide in their mother's basement behind a computer screen to troll others. Interesting that he would say that because, you know, this is a common practice in his party. We've got Scott Morrison's evangelical buddy, Amanda Stoker, caught uh, responding to people defending her policies as someone else from an alternative account. And then last month, Crikey came out with an article about this whole issue. Liberals are faking online engagement, but what is Facebook doing about the page abuse? You know, obviously nothing. They go on to list, obviously, uh, Andrew Lemming was, was, uh, was running a fake news account. So um, posing as a, an actual news outlet and then running a bunch of community pages as well, claiming they weren't linked to government. And I guarantee you that this is happening everywhere. Uh, I've joined a couple of community pages and, uh, and it was interesting. So I'll show you quickly what I found. This one called WTF Mornings in Peninsula. And this says that this guy, one of the admins, which just constantly shares posts from Victoria Forward, which is a propaganda outlet um, affiliated with the Liberal Party, even though they claim to be not affiliated. This is the Frankston Community Notice Board, right? And you've got this guy. Basically, uh, there was a house in Frankston North, which is which is the Pines, which, and you know, if you, if you know the Pines, you, you know of the Pines. Um, but there was a like an abandoned house, I guess, and uh, and, and they just left left shit everywhere when people cleared out. And so this guy just just was like on this mission, coming up, filming it, putting videos on YouTube, and of him just blaming the council or, or the local government. Um, Frankston, by the way, is is Labor federal and state Labor seat, so you can probably guess where it's coming from, right? And people are correcting him point by point, constantly. And he went around into every group. So this is another one by him. So going on more about how he's been posting his footage on the Frankston Council Facebook page and how they're refusing to help him and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, and, and this isn't all he's been doing. There's uh, near, right near the council buildings, there's a bunch of um, properties that are like prime real estate, but they're abandoned. So basically he was just going in and with a camera 
or, or going around the perimeter and just going on about how, you know, these are here, these are prime, this is prime development land and, and the government's doing nothing. And he's been responded to by the actual council and been explained that these are private property and they can't do anything about it and they have tried and then he was going around to all the other groups for the area and saying the same thing and people are jumping on there and correcting him and saying hey dude like the council's responded to you that many times why do you just ignore him and keep going on like they're ignoring you he just wouldn't respond he keeps going now he's actually got a website the real social justice warrior a voice for the concerned community When there is a citizen outcry falling on deaf ears, a collective voice of the concerned community is all that is needed in order to be heard. Right, which is stupid because, I mean, he's heard loud and clear and rebuffed and ignores that and continues banging on about how he's not heard and the council's not doing anything. And then here's all his, uh, you know, clips. There's the house in Frankston North. These are the, um, the, the properties that I was talking about. To blatantly be doing that, like ignoring um, ignoring the actual responses he gets from the authorities and continuing to go on like he's being ignored. I mean, there's obviously an ulterior motive there, whether he's working for the opposition or, you know, property developers looking to purchase the properties and, and develop them. You know, who knows? But uh, it's definitely suspicious. And what is even more suspicious is that on the 30th of March, the Herald Sun published this smack bang in the middle of his whole dump house campaign i'll show you another um another thing quickly this is the frankston and peninsula real ratepayers discussion group and so this has this guy in it who just constantly shares posts from victoria forward and then also from this the quiet australian just constant like slander um against labor just constantly going now in this uh group when i joined it and I was uh, quite appalled at the amount of, you know, blatant propaganda that was being shared in there. I, I pointed this out. I made a post saying, hey, what, you know, what's going on? I want to know sort of about the local area, not be bombarded with pro-liberal propaganda. From a guy who appears to be a cat, uh, the response was, well, why don't you join the Labor Troll group then? Right, which seems to be like a common, a common sort of uh, comeback. They're doing it, so you know someone's got to, someone's got to do it. If you don't like it, go join the one that they're doing it in. Obviously, that would be the Frankston and Peninsula ratepayer discussion group, as opposed to this uh, Frankston and Peninsula real ratepayer discussion group. Did a bit of investigationing on this, and turns out it's not. So the other group is actually just exactly what you would want out of a community group. Just, you know, posts about the local community, some art installations. Yeah, there's 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 um political party stuff shared, sure, but, but that's fine. Like, you know, discourse is good, it's great, especially within the local community. But when it's blatant, misleading, misinformation, propaganda, then it's an issue. And they've all obviously been booted from this group for sharing this stuff and decided that it's a Labour troll group. Where they get that little bit of information from, it's always got a slice of truth to it. What um, what he does mean by the Labor Troll Group is that one of the admins started working for the council and so had to give up being admin of the group. 
so yeah, so this, so this uh, and I'm presuming that this is happening in every single community group. It doesn't seem like it's restricted to just Victoria. It seems like it's nationwide and they've infiltrated this, I'm guessing the staffers of the Liberal Party representatives for the area are doing this in every single community-related group. And not even just community-related groups, like just random groups as well. That's enough about that. And that's just Facebook. That's not even starting on Twitter. And we're going to have to leave that for another time because that's a, that's a whole other hour in itself. This is not the main point of today's episode. I mean, as it stands, I'm, I'm looking at my recorded time here and it's about 50 minutes in. I'm obviously going to edit this down and try and make it as... Um, to the point and short and sharp as I could maybe edit out a few examples because we might have gone overboard on the examples there. But anyway, this is not not the main point of this episode. So back to Crosby Texter. So we know who one of CT Group's uh, contractors are. Topham Guerin. Now, if we want to get an idea of maybe what the rest of their apparatus looks like, I guess we, what we'd have to do is have a look at America because it, Crosby Texter have always got their inspiration from America. Initially, I mean, you saw with the ad from the first Queensland state election that Linton Crosby was involved in, it was on that tough, of, tough on crime angle or Labor's soft on crime angle, which is straight out of, you know, George Bush um, Senior's campaign and, and even Ronald Reagan's um, campaign. And that's where they got their inspiration from. So I guess if we want to look at what CT Group is these days, we'd have to have a look at what's going on with the Republicans in America. And oh my God, isn't there a whole bunch of shit going on with the Republicans in America? And it's hard to even know where to start. But I guess we start by looking at the Coctopus. Not the Coctopus, the Coctopus. It's a completely different mental image. David and Charles Coke. Not the drink Coke. This is Coke Industries. They're, uh, they're basically like oil magnates. Super rich oil magnates. Um, David Koch died in, in 2019, and so this was just after his death. The Cocktopus, the sprawling network that keeps David Koch's legacy thriving. In September 2010, David and Charles Koch, the fabulously rich brothers who turned an oil and manufacturing empire inherited from their father into a cash cow for right-wing causes that would change American politics, sent out a letter to conservative power brokers inviting them to Palm Springs. They were staging an event that was to become known as Freedom Partners. The most intriguing part of the brochure was a roll call of names of those lured to previous Freedom Partner gatherings. It included the current Vice President Mike Pence, Wisconsin politician Paul Ryan, super donors such as the head fund manager Ken Griffin, and most intriguing of all, two conservative justices of the US Supreme Court. That the brothers could bring under one roof top politicians, billionaire donors, and senior judges to plot the future of America on a free market anti-government course illustrated the scale of their ambitions and the influence they welded. No wonder their sprawling network of conservative chums came to be dubbed the Coctopus. 
The death of David Koch, announced on Friday, severs a fraternal partnership with Charles that has been the driving force of America's increasingly bitter partisan politics. So reviled did David and Charles become in liberal circles that Koch brothers became a catchphrase for the insidious influence of big money. As Lisa Graves, director of a new digital archive, cockdocs.org, don't go to cockdocs.org, cokedocs.org, that tracks the brothers' record, put it, a substantial part of David Koch's legacy was the added distortion of the American democracy, which should be based on one person, one vote, but was grossly twisted when he used his vast wealth to buy himself an influence that was out of all proportion. Many date the rise of the Kochs to 2010, the year in which the highly contentious landmark Supreme Court ruling Citizens United opened the floodgates to corporate money in elections. Koch Industries can also claim the distinction of being one of the country's most highly polluting companies behind only ExxonMobil and American Electric Power. It's a seminal quality of the Koch's politics that it is virtually impossible to separate out their personal convictions from their pragmatic desire to advance their personal and corporate fortunes. By Greenpeace's reckoning, in the 20 years to 2017, the Koch's ploughed $127 million into 92 groups that were involved in rebuffing climate crisis solutions. It's clear that he provided life support to the denial machine. Koch's similarly self-interested desire to drive government out of the US economy by undermining regulations and slashing corporate taxes started to firm up in the 80s. By then, many of his other passions were also taking form, including abolishing social security and rolling back welfare benefits for low-income Americans. In 97, he founded the Libertarian Cato Institute. The true embodiment of the brothers' desire to reshape the country was born. Americans for Prosperity was the vehicle for their dreams of channeling their politics into what would become almost a shadow Republican Party. Through Americans for Prosperity, the Kochs spawned a nationwide web of impassioned conservative volunteers, empowered by the new voter technology they supported through the political data firm i360. This is i360 Analytics. We help our clients gain insights through data visualizations, simulations, structured experimentation, and consumer research. From gathering and cleansing to translating and structuring data, i360 was doing big data before it was a buzzword. With decades of experience in machine learning and AI, we are all about finding patterns and predicting the future. <clears throat> Our team of software engineers helps make data actionable with advanced capabilities in web, mobile, and API software development. Our data is integrated with digital, mobile, and TV, addressable and linear platforms, so you can reach your audience anywhere. Your guess is as good as ours, or is it? A team of data scientists build and refine proven and sophisticated models that enable us to predict behaviors and actions, such as the likelihood to support or oppose an issue, redeem a coupon, subscribe to an email, or even purchase a particular brand or product. This knowledge is powerful, informing messaging and enhancing your ability to target and reach the right customer to achieve success at scale. This is from 2014. Koch brothers and their allies are pumping tens of millions of dollars into a data company that's developing detailed state-of-the-art profiles of 250 million Americans, giving the brothers' political operation all the earmarks of a national party. The Kochs are continuing to amass all of the campaign tools the Republican National Committee and other party arms use to elect a president. 
The Coke network has developed in-house expertise in polling, message testing, fact-checking, advertising, media buying, dial groups, and donor maintenance. Add mastery of election law, uh, corporate-minded aggressiveness, and years of patient experimentation, plus seemingly limitless cash, and the Coke's operation actually exceeds the RNC's data operation in many important respects. The Coke operations are the most important non-party political players in the US today, and no one else is even close, said a top Republican who's been involved in the last eight presidential campaigns. The least known vehicle for the Cokes is a for-profit company known as I360. Started by former advisor to John McCain's presidential campaign, subsequently it merged with a Coke-funded data not-for-profit. The Coke-affiliated Freedom Partners, formed in late 2011, eventually became an investor, officials confirmed to Politico. Spending more than $50 million in cash over the past four years, I360 links voter information with consumer data purchased from credit bureaus and other vendors. Information from social networks is blended in, along with any interaction the voter may have had with affiliated campaigns and advocacy groups. Then comes estimated income, recent addresses, how often a person has voted, uh, and even the brand of car they drive. Another i360 service slices and dices information about TV viewing to help campaigns target ads more precisely and cost-effectively. Michael Palmer, who started the company, said i360 has been able to develop superior campaign tools precisely because it isn't beholden to the political calendar. With a steady stream of money comes the ability to think about long-term, he said. Right now, we're talking about and building things that you won't see in 2016 because it's not going to be ready until 2018. This deep dive into the mechanics of politics reflects the Koch brothers' growing awareness that the traditional forms of advocacy aren't, in isolation, effective enough to achieve the kind of conservative transformation the network's supporters envision. For decades, the Kochs have pursued their goals by sinking tens of millions of dollars into wonky research and advocacy groups. It was only during George W. Bush's presidency that the brothers and their allies began to question whether the power of their ideas alone could carry the day. A movement that started with 15 rich conservatives gathering in Chicago and a single main group, Americans for Prosperity, by 2008 became a congregation of roughly 100 major donors backing a handful of think tanks, grassroots advocacy networks and political organisations. In 2012, the newly created Freedom Partners, the umbrella group for the Koch's political operation, raised and spent roughly $250 million. Heading into 2016, the Koch network under Freedom Partners has in many ways surpassed the reach and resources of the RNC. And unlike the party, it isn't bound by rules requiring it to maintain neutrality in primaries. Though the network has yet to engage in primaries, that could be the next logical step in its progression from a political think tank consortium to aggressive privatized political machine. With good data, we can target them with the right message at the right time. So I360 basically incorporates all the data they can suck up. And there's a lot of it. And there's a lot of data companies that sell your data, right? And I'm talking like credit card companies. So, you know, like when you apply for a personal loan or a credit card and you fill out all that information about like what your weekly expenditure is and your paycheck and how much your rent is or how much your mortgage is or if you have current loan repayments, all that stuff, they sell that data to data companies who then on sell it to companies like i360. And they're not the only company like this. The sort of main one before i360 came to its like current form, which was you know, recently, 
um, 2018, I believe. You've got Peter Thiel, um, who's who has Palantir, which is a similar thing, just this just absolute data trove on everyone, and um, and I three sixty is very similar. I'll read from this other article here from 2018, which um, goes into a bit more detail. The I360 voter file identifies more than 199 million active voters and 290 million US consumers and provides its users with up to uh, 1,800 unique data points on each identified individual. So just to put that in, in context, 500 data points on someone and you're able to predict uh, what said person will do, like say you present them with an, an ad or, or something, or just a decision to make. If you have 500 data points on that person, you can predict what that decision will be with greater accuracy than the person closest to them, like their parents and their spouse. Once you get over a thousand data points on someone, then you know that person better than they know themselves. And these guys have... 1,800 unique data points on each identified individual. Your spending habits, your income, everything. Your social media posts, every interaction you've had with a political party, and so on. I360 and the Cokes know your vitals, ethnicity, religion, occupation, hobbies, shopping habits, political leanings, financial assets, marital status, and much more. They know if you enjoy fishing, they know whether you prefer salt or fresh water when fishing. They know if you have bladder control difficulty, you get migraines or have osteoporosis. They know which advertising mediums are the most effective for you. They have the following attribute tags amongst hundreds of others ranked one to 10 or subdivided otherwise in their voter file. Diet, weight loss interest, education level, hearing difficulty, country of origin, high cholesterol, Ethnic code, outdoor ad preference, selected member marital, a mobile device ad preference, internet ad preference, newspaper ad preference, internet purchase propensity, phone purchase, ethnic product, African American, Bible, cruise vacation propensity, years in residence at location. They give you a one to 10 score against each of those things, right? Okay. And then things like home equity estimate, net wealth range, purchasing power, income range, expendable income rank. They know where you live, what your mortgage status is and how many bathrooms are in your house. So they got your home value when you moved into your home, number of bathrooms, presence of garage, They've also created a set of 70 cluster codes to humanize its data for campaign operations. These categories range from faded blue collars to meandering millennials and have flamboyant descriptions that correspond with their attributed headings. Davenport dandies, older white conservatives who show interest in health insurance. These empty nesters get retirement income, income through second careers or social security. The gluten-free yuppies, single, young, highly educated professionals renting apartments in large cities. The creme de la creme. These households bring home the largest paychecks. They're highly educated homeowners, most often married with children living at home. A large number of these people are self-employed, primarily white, but with a significant Asian minority. 
adopters and presumers, college-educated married couples with children, 40-plus enjoy staying at home. Sueno Americano is the Hispanics. Additionally, I360 has developed a series of persuasion models for its voter file. These models are often regionally sensitive since voters have regional concerns and are being used in federal elections and down-ballot races to assist Republicans across the country. Much of the I360 success in the race, however, was linked to understanding the key local issue facing Ohio was the opioid epidemic. In response, the company created a heroin model and a heroin treatment model that were particularly effective at convincing voters to support Portman. The manipulation of the opioid crisis for political gain has a perverse irony given the Coke's long-running work to provide corporate interests, including healthcare and pharmaceutical interests, with undue political power and influence over public policy decisions. So it's about tailored advertising based on what's going to be the most effective um, for you. So they've got this extensive database of um, different data points on every single voter in their entire country. So they can micro-target tailored ads to them. Now, obviously that sounds like the way Crosby Tech has always worked, even without the internet. But does someone in Australia have something similar to what the Koch brothers have in America? The answer is yes. And that someone is the Liberal Party themselves or a separate company owned by the Liberal Party called Parakelia and their software called Feedback. Let's watch this. Um, let's watch this short piece from the 7.30 report from 2016. It's been revealed how the Liberal Party's doing it through a secret software program called Feedback that MPs use to track information on their constituents. Uh, the purpose that's not so legitimate is basically uh, the parties, and the, in the case of Feedback, it's the Liberal Party, but the Labor Party's got a similar um, program. Basically, they suck up all of that information. People, what their issues are, what their voting intentions might be, etc., etc. And obviously, of concern is, you know, you have sensitive information in Feedback that uh, constituents may very well not want you to have. Every time you walk into your local MP's office, call them or sign a petition to talk about your local hospital or school, that information is logged and stored. As well as some of it being personal and sensitive, there's concerns about how the database is paid for through a taxpayer-funded subsidy. The Liberal program Feedback is designed by a company called Parakelia. It's registered in the same office as the Federal Liberal Party and wholly owned by it. Its directors include the party's boss, Tony Nutt, and former minister, Richard Alston. Disendorsed Liberal MP Dennis Jensen says he was told to pay $2,500 to buy access to feedback and that most other MPs were required to do the same, giving the company a lucrative revenue source, funded out of MPs' electorate allowances paid for by the taxpayer. It was a very clear understanding uh, there's uh, feedback training provided to staff members and basically the training is um, to use it as a database uh, politically rather than uh, to assist uh, constituents. Indeed, the instruction 
given by feedback trainers is that if there's not a vote in it, don't do it. What's really raised eyebrows is that Parakelia is also funnelling that revenue back to the Liberal Party through political donations. Last financial year, it was the party's second biggest donor, chipping in half a million dollars. All up, it's donated more than one million dollars to the party. I think the, um, the funnelling of public money back into political parties for campaigning is concerning. I think it is completely against the spirit, if not the letter of the law. This is the feedback user manual. Its first page instructs staff to keep its contents secret, saying, we do not discuss feedback outside of the office. Dennis Jensen is furious with the Liberals for disendorsing him in his Perth seat. He's now running against them and is attacking his former party. The legitimate use is not the main use. And, uh, and as proof of that, uh, the taxpayer has paid for my feedback until November this year, yet the Liberal Party has removed my access to feedback and have given it, for instance, to uh, uh, given access to the Liberal Party candidate in my electorate. The Liberal Party says the lack of access is due to technical issues. The government's Cabinet Secretary, Arthur Sinodinos, struggled to explain feedback in an interview late last night, saying he was unsure if taxpayers had shelled out for his office to use feedback. You used your, you used your allowance, your taxpayer-funded allowance? Well, I'd have to check, but I think I would have, yes. Why? I beg your pardon? Why? Well, that, that, that would be used to provide information on uh, which we gather on electors and the like, and we use it to try and do our electorate business. All right, and that's a legitimate use of that taxpayer allowance? I'm not quite sure what you're getting at there. I'm just wondering whether it's a legitimate use of taxpayer funds. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I, I believe it is, yes. Finance Minister and campaign spokesman Matthias Cormann defended the program this morning. The uh, work expenses arrangements uh, that you referred to apply equally to all members of parliament uh, across the board. Uh, and I think you'll find uh, that the arrangements uh, that uh, are accessed in terms of the relevant software by Liberal members and senators are the same as those accessed by Labour members uh, and senators and indeed are accessible by all members of parliament on the same basis. Wow, what a drone. Anyway, continue. The Labor Party has its own similar program called Campaign Central. It was developed by an independent software company that does not appear to donate back to the party. Even so, the programs caused the ALP trouble during the campaign. Former Labor boss Jamie Clements has been charged with illegally accessing voter details via Campaign Central, and the case was mentioned before a registrar this week. Mr Clements denies the charges. Political experts say the parties are given privileged information to our personal details, and voters even have to pay for the privilege. They are a distortion of the democratic process. I think most people wouldn't accept that this is legitimate. And when we start to see the large amount of monies that move around, people do get concerned. All right, so they definitely do this. Now, I know, I know they, they've uh, lumped the Labor Party in as well. 
but I mean, I've I've looked, I've looked on the labor pages. I haven't um, done this sort of investigating into all this sort of dodgy online stuff to be purely about the Liberal Party. It's just that they're the ones who do the dodgy shit. You don't see Labor politicians using fake accounts to bolster themselves online and all that. I mean, you've got get up, and that's what's pointed to a lot when when you sort of mention this kind of stuff to like a Liberal supporter that they're just like, well, you know, you know, get up, get up is not the Labor Party, just as Advance Australia isn't the Liberal Party yet. They have a, a way more vicious army of sock puppet accounts, and they pretty much are the Liberal Party. Anyway, it seems to me, oh, I mean, I would say it's baffling. It's not baffling. It's, it's sadly, it's just the day-to-day workings of the Liberal Party that just doesn't get questioned. We'll have a million articles from here until whenever the election's going to be about just made-up potential leadership spills in the Labor Party, yet no one will investigate further on the fact that the Liberals are using taxpayer money to, I'm not going to mince my words on this one, you just saw the report, every single Liberal Party MP is using their taxpayer-funded allowance to pay $2,500 to this data company owned by the Liberal Party every single year, and then that data company owned by the Liberal Party then donates all that money back to the Liberal Party as the Liberal Party's second highest donor. Obviously, it isn't as extensive as I360, though. And it mustn't be because... Have you signed an online petition recently? Raised concerns with an MP over a neighbourhood gripe? Vented on social media about a political issue, then you may be firmly in the sights and possibly even on the lists of Victoria's political campaigners. The race has begun to sweep up personal information about Victorians as political parties and interest groups micro-target constituents in the battle for votes at the November election. The major players are harnessing campaign technologies capable of building detailed voter profiles and monitoring social media as they fight for votes. Swinging voters in particular can expect a barrage of sophisticated social media advertisement, advertising and direct conversations aimed at appeasing their specific concerns. For the first time in Victoria, the Liberal Party has adopted i360 software, which allows campaigners to enter details of phone calls and face-to-face conversations with voters immediately into a database using their mobile phones. The program, credited with helping Donald Trump win the 2016 US election, can record precise personal information down to voters' individual concerns about a political, about political or local issues and their voting intentions allows campaign teams to target undecided voters for repeated communications while disregarding rusted on true believers or pouring greater resources into other areas. The i360 program can merge information with the Liberals' existing campaign database feedback, providing instant access to masses of historic information about voters. Conversely, i360 also records the activities of Liberal candidates, monitoring whether they're meeting their campaign targets for phone calls and face-to-face visits. 
there was state direct initiative. So it goes on to say that the Liberal Party used IO360 in the South Australian election. Insiders arguing that their campaign methods helped exceed the expectations of political commentators. So this, so you know, this all well and good. So yeah, everyone uses these these databases, and sure, I mean, you got to use what tools you can to connect with your constituents. You you need ways to know what issues are important to the people you want to support your party, and it's a normal part of campaigning to know that kind of stuff. So obviously, the more data, the better. And a bit creepy, but that's fine. As long as you're doing it so that you can hear what people's concerns are and you can reflect them in your party and your party's policies. The problem is that when it's used in these right-wing circles, they're doing it to exploit your anxieties about the opposition, and they're using it to manipulate you into thinking what is best for you is what is best for the extremely wealthy people who fund these campaigns. I'm gonna have to, we're gonna have to leave it there because I mean, I'll try and edit this down as much as I can, but I've been recording for about two and a half hours now and it's 3 a.m. But I've got a lot more to get through. So next week, we'll have to do part two of this and we'll have to have a look at the rest of the Coke network, the Coketopus, and how it all works in unison to bolster the data they collect. Like I said at the start, please share this clip, get this information around, subscribe to this YouTube channel like the Facebook page, like the post, like the video, just do the things that are gonna make this appear and in front of people so that they may stumble upon it when they're trawling the internet. Thank you. I'll see you in a week's time.